One fourth of the Pacer season is done. What has stood out about the team through 21 games plus Bucks tonight and the fever win the WNBA draft lottery? It's all coming today with Pat Boylan on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Wednesday, y'all, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we've got a lot to get into because one-fourth of the Pacers season is over 21 games in, really slightly over a fourth, whatever, is done. There's a lot to talk about. They're exceeding expectations. They're beating good teams. They are Two wins over my projection to this point. They have the seventh best net rating. How are they doing this? Is this sustainable? What is there to look forward to in the next quarter of the season? And who better to talk about that with than Pat Boylan, Pacers sports entertainment broadcaster extraordinaire on the radio, doing sideline interviews, doing play-by-play for the Fever. He knows it all. And we'll talk a little about the Fever at the end, winning the draft lottery, plus a note about tonight's Bucks game. So much to get to on today's Lockdown Pacers with Pat Boylan. Let's just get right to it. The busiest man in the state is here broadcasting for the Pacers and the Fever big week for both teams going on right now. It's Pat Boylan. Pat, how you doing? How are you enjoying this run of Indiana basketball success we've had for the last week? I'm doing good. I appreciate you having me on. When you did the introduction, I was like looking over your shoulder. I thought maybe a third person was joining us, but no. Uh, busy, but but I will never, ever complain about busy because when busy involves covering professional basketball, then you know this very well. Um, you know, it beats having a regular job, that's for sure. And it's one that I'm very fortunate to have. And yeah, man, it's been it's been a thrilling week, uh, both from what's happened with the fever and the number one draft lottery spot and uh, and with the Pacers, the in-season tournament run, they're on a nice uptick right now. So it's always good when, you know, the Fever play in the summer and the Pacers play in the winter. And it's always good when you're getting both kind of making a splash during the same time because their schedules are so different from each other. Yeah, very rare overlapping moment. And it went great for both for the the asterisk four game winning streak that I'll have to put the asterisk <laughs> on for all of time overlapping with potentially the one of the most significant lottery wins in the history of the W uh, is pretty exciting. This is a Pacers show. We will talk about the fever at the end, though. Pat and I have done this before. Um, Pat, 13 and 8. We're a quarter of the way through the season, which seems impossible, but that's where we are already. That is above where I thought they would be, admittedly, right? They are, I had them at 11 wins so far, and their net rating is, you know, among the best in the league. And there's many reasons for that, despite their crummy defense. They're able to already prove to be very threatening, taking down some of the top teams. And exactly right now, their net rating is seventh and very close to sixth, right? They're better than I thought. I don't know if they're better than you thought they would be. And I'm curious, one big picture, what you've thought of their first quarter of the season, and two, if they have surpassed your expectations for what they'd be to this point. Well, I think the way at least my brain works is my expectations kind of go on a prism. Like if you would have told me they were from this point on a low end to this point on a high end, you know, maybe a 80 to 90% confidence interval, they're definitely on the high end. I, I don't want to say yeah. they exceeded my expectations, mostly because the schedule up front was softer and it was very home heavy. And I thought there was the chance that this team would get out to a really good start. What's interesting is, and on on another podcast that I'm a part of, 
Rick Carlisle actually told us, he said, we've talked to our team and the first 16 games are really important. And I thought that was fascinating because typically you see coaches that are so micro-focused. You don't often hear them say, yeah, these first 16 games, guys, like (laughs) we need to make sure we're focused in on this. But his reasoning was because 11 of 16 were at home. And I don't know what, two weeks ago or so, we're sitting at the 16-game mark and the Pacers were 9-7. and And that you know, or they're coming off the Portland loss, and that just felt a little underwhelming, albeit nine and seven, I think, is like a 46 win pace, which I would have taken. You know, if they get there, I'll take it now. Um, but it just felt a little underwhelming with the level of competition and with all the home games. But I think they've more than made up for that. Uh, these last five games, you know, you've had four on the road. This is not including the championship game, the asterisk you're throwing in there, but the <laughs> other five. You've had four on the road um, against all good teams but one, and you've gone uh, four and one in there. And I think that has probably more than made up for where you felt like you were at nine and seven. I maybe would have had this team at 12. You'd like to be uh, at 13 if you can get there, and that's where they are. So, yeah, I think they're in a good spot, and they're on the more optimistic end of what my preseason projection would have been. I had them at 11 and 10 to this point. And it's funny because that is baked in a win against Portland and a win against Charlotte, right? So that's what's been really interesting is that not only have they exceeded win expectations is they've beaten like literally every good team that they've played sans the Lakers at some point, right? And that has been most shocking to me is their peak is just like we can beat anybody. As a consequence of their crummy defense, they can also lose to anybody, as we've seen already four or five times, but they've recovered well. And right, they're finally having this week, right? They played, they won without Halliburton. They played for stretches, good defense against the Bucs and Celtics, like rounding into form a bit and sitting at 13 and eight. So to be above expectation to me, I kind of thought they would be a good offensive team and a bad defensive team. In fact, I think the Pacers thought that's kind of what they would be this season. The reason I think they've exceeded expectations a little bit, at least to me is their offense isn't good. It's unbelievable. It's the best ever. And that just makes it possible for them to be so much more than just like a 45 win team. It's like, Oh, you like every game you play, Your opponent's like, crap, we're playing the Pacers. Like, this is hard. This is tough. They're really hard to stop, and it changes the dynamics of every game. And they can, if their offense falls apart, have off nights against crummy teams, as we've seen. But they also can beat anybody. They've beaten the team with the best net rating in the league, the second best net rating in the league. Like, they've been toppling some of these best teams. And I think the reason to me is their offense is just way, way better. Like 123 and a half offensive rating looks fake to see on paper. It's just way better than I thought. And it's been so significant for their season. Yeah, I think right now the offense is pulling them up more than the defense is pulling them down. But they're a fascinating team because if I would have sat here at the beginning of the season and told you I'm clairvoyant and can see into the future and here's a little tidbit for you. They're going to have beaten the Celtics once, the Bucks <laughs> twice, the 76ers once, the Cavs twice. Um, am I missing anybody the in there? I mean, the Heat, thank you. you. You'd go, oh my gosh, this team might have 16 wins at right. this point. On the flip side, if I did the same exercise and said to you, listen, they're going to lose to Toronto, Chicago, Charlotte, Washington, and Portland, you'd have gone, oh my gosh, has this thing gone off the rails? 
And the answer is, of course, somewhere in the middle, but probably closer to the positive end than the negative end. You know, going into the year, I thought, you know, if this can be somewhere between like the sixth to eighth best offensive team in the league and you can get your defense from 20 uh, late 20s to maybe around 20 that you'd like where you're finishing. And obviously the offense has been much better than that. The defense has been worse, but on balance, um, you know, I, I think it might even be a touch better than that prediction just because you, you can't just look at the rating specifically for the Pacers in this instance because they're not just number one, but like they're number one with such an absurd number right. one that 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 one is is much better than the 28 is bad and that's what's that's what's interesting right now and then so you try to project and you say well can they keep up this these ridiculous numbers offensively that's going to be a tough thing to keep up but at the same time you know to me there's no reason a team that finished i think 27th defensively last year can't be at least a little better than that with guys like Bruce Brown coming over so it, it makes projecting from this group i think really challenging the slow climb uh, up to 28th in defense has been fun the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Um, I agree with you. For, also, to go back to something you said earlier, you are allowed to say the Sideline Guys podcast with Pat Moyle and Jeremiah Johnson on the show. You don't have to call it. That's fair. I just didn't want to be rude. <laughs> Another you know, this is This isn't of. my time. We've had you on our show. <laughs> I, I've been on yours, I think, now. This is the second time. I think some cross-promoting is more than fair. But I, I, I didn't want to come in here and in the first two minutes start talking about my show, Tony. Your show with Rick Carlisle, uh, yes, that does it is definitely worth listening to for anyone who's listening to this. Yeah, they're four and a half points better than the third rated offense, which is just <laughs> like bananas. Like the Bucks are third; they are four and a half points better than the fourteenth offense, right? Like that gap is so significant. And defensively, yes, they're awful, but like the gap between them and the team ahead of them, or two teams ahead of them, is the gap between that team and like twenty four, right? So like the differences, like you just said, is why. Their net rating is so significant. And so I am inclined to say big picture, like in theory, this isn't how it works, <laughs> but they are one of the four best net ratings in the East, right? So like in theory, that's a team that can win around in the postseason. I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't, we'll see. The season will progress. Teams will adjust. We've already seen teams start to double Tyrese Halliburton a little bit more and disrupt what he's doing. We really saw that in Detroit and the Lakers game. Like as now, I think there's enough sample for teams to have different scouting reports, right? How do the Pacers respond to that? But currently, as it stands, like being a top seven team, maybe that falls to 12, 13. Like you said, they have a heavy home schedule. They've played some easier opponents. But if they've even if they're in the top half, they are better than I thought by default. I predicted they would win 40 games. So it's been really impressive. And I think the first quarter takeaway is their offense is that good that they can be better than everybody thought already, despite having over half the rotation on their rookie scale deals. Hey, everybody, have to take a short little moment to talk to you about the lovely people and our partners at eBay Motors who have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're preparing for a daily draft or scouring the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players who are guaranteed to fit your roster. So let's see who Josh has picked out for us on this week's eBay Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Players of the Week. One of them, a guy who just had a nice game against the Pacers, Asar Thompson. He's playing a lot. He's playing at the four now. If Thompson was dropped in your fantasy league, go grab him because he's back starting. And Monty Williams has hopefully realized his error. He could be a guy in for some big minutes and some big opportunities. And he fills up the stat sheets. My goodness, he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, other names from Josh, Jonathan Kuminga, who's been playing a little better for the Warriors. Keontae George 
who starred in a guard at point guard for the Jazz. Dante Exum, who's now starting for the Mavs, who are a little injured. And Isaiah Hartenstein, who's now going to be starting for the Knicks for a while with Mitchell Robinson injured for New York. Josh Lloyd on Lockdown Fantasy Basketball can help you win your fantasy championship. While eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. And that's the same with your vehicle. Do you have a favorite memory of a car you love? I'll never forget my Sebring that I started my driving life with. Uh, I love that thing. I also had to get a new rear trunk for it at one point. I had to go to the scrapyard and figure it out. It took forever to make sure it fit right. I should have just used eBay Motors because with over 122 million parts for your ride or die, you can make sure it stays running smoothly. They got brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs eBay Motors has it, and with eBay's guaranteed fit, it is guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or it'll just get your money back. And at those prices, you are burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay's guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. Yeah, I think their offense brings them, puts them in a position where they're in almost every game. Their defense yep. puts them in a position where the opponent <laughs> has been in most of these games too. Um, but I think one thing that's noteworthy also, as long as he stays relatively healthy, the Pacers have been in just about every game they've played in. And I think over the course of time, you know, you look at that clutch rating and games that are close and all that, there's a million ways to look at it. But over time, if you're constantly giving yourself a chance to win, I think you're going to like where you are at the end of the season. And this team was doing that at this point last year, too. And so, you know, important to note, there's some uncontrollables that could come into play. You hope they don't. The Halliburton injury kind of derailed last season. You could maybe make a case for the better. We'll have to see how the draft picks turn out. Um, but at this point, you know, I, I probably was at 42 wins maybe to start the year. And if you would have had me lock into a seat, I might have said seven and my 90% confidence interval was somewhere between five. And if everything went wrong, save just catastrophic injuries, maybe 11. Right now, I think I'm probably moving that up a notch. I think maybe my middle ground is is six or seven. Um, with, with, I do think, you know, home court in the first round is a possibility. Um, I also think you, you, look at, you look at the standings. Nice. You look at the standings and... They're only, you know, I think a game or a half game ahead of, um, you know, some of those teams in the play-in tournament. And and really, uh, w- through nine is, like, like, Brooklyn's not far from nine yeah. either. So it's right. so it's something, you know, it's it's so easy, I think, to look up and say, wow, you're not far from this team. Wow, you're not far from this team. Look where you are. But, like, there's a lot of pretty good teams that are near you, too. Um, but I do think they've done a nice job of setting the foundation here where they hopefully don't have to play catch-up by the end of the year. They are equally close to four and nine. <laughs> Love the Eastern Conference system. Yeah, there you go. Right. And, and that pretty much <laughs> describes where I think I am with this team. Like where's right. middle ground for me? Probably six or seven um, could get up to four, could fall back to nine. But you do have a, a little bit of nice cushion already over Atlanta and 10, which is good. Yep. Yeah, Atlanta dropping right now and Toronto is significant for at least their play in chances, depending on how things break. And Look, if Tyrese Halberton plays, you just said it. Like they're gonna have a chance. They've how many what one game he's played where they had no chance? That was Orlando, right? Like right. every other game they've been in it at least, even though they have lost some of them that they would like to have back. So big picture, it's it's really hard to not be encouraged by their start. They have been healthy. They are currently down two rotation players, but they haven't lost a starter for any significant stretch at all. Of course, that matters, but taking advantage while healthy still matters for an ascending team. So I think that's been good. And I think that as they pivot to the second 
quarter of the season. I sound like Jim Mercer with some of these <laughs> fake uh, times of seasons. But in the next 20, 21 games, whatever, until they hit the halfway point, I'll be interested if they can. You know, as we saw against Boston, like their effort was there. They were defending a little better. Yeah, the Celtics missed some shots, but like holding them to 112 is impressive. They defended well enough against Milwaukee for stretches. They did not defend well against the Pistons, but that game was like the hardest mental strain game ever. Can they get their defense? This is going to sound like a low bar, but I mean this as, as like a an actual attainable goal for them. Can they get their defense to like 24th? <laughs> or yeah. 23rd, right? Yeah. The Bucks are 23rd right now, and the Bucks have an awesome offense as well. Can they can they pass the Hawks, Jazz, Spurs, and Pistons defensively? That sounds sad to say, but if they can do that and not sacrifice a lot on offense, then I'll really believe like, okay, this team can be a playoff certainty basically and has a chance to be really serious there because we know they can score. And if, like I just said, if Halliburton plays, they can be any game. So the next attainable goal, something they've, been working on despite some unsuccessful efforts so far to their to their detriment. This is a criticism. They haven't defended well, but if they can get it up even just three, four spots, it would go such a long way for them. It absolutely would. And I think if you look at realistic attainable goals, like that is probably the best case scenario um, for what this team could accomplish. You know, I think it's realistic to expect them uh, to continue to improve defensively. You've got a new defensive system I know we're a quarter of the way into the year now, but a new-ish defensive system that's come in. Um, and, and you're right, like it's been slow, creeping progress, but there has been just a little bit of progress defensively. I think you would say on balance, you've defended better the last two weeks than you did maybe the previous two weeks. They're going to need to see more of it. I, I, as good yes. as their offense has been, and as much as their offense is pulling them up more than down, in the playoffs, if they're a team that's that's hitting the playoffs and they absolutely can get there ranked 28th defensively, but can they win a playoff <laughs> series 28th defensively? That's probably where, where I draw the line. And But I do think you're right. Like If you're going to play offense this well, it's not going to take the Pacers becoming 10th defensively, which, by the way, not to get down a, a big rabbit hole here, but I find the whole conversation fascinating because for any Pacers fan growing up or anybody that's covered the Pacers for a long time, like the conversation was always opposite with the good Pacers teams, right? <laughs> like Remember the 2012-2013 the team was like historic defensively, and it was like if they can just muster enough offense, and now we're having the, the complete pull opposite conversation uh, but but I definitely think it's true I was asked I think kind of an intriguing question by one of the hosts of one of our radio affiliates which was he, we were talking about the offense and how it's so good and I said I think part of it is just because you've got Halliburton who's playing like a top five offensive player right now and then when healthy you've got eight or nine other guys and really every night you only need three or four of those eight to step up and they're all capable of doing so so you're not yet reliant on uh, you know any specific player, you've seen all of these guys step up in a big moment, and you know he asked, "Is that sustainable? Is that something that the Pacers could have bigger success with?" And I think it's it's all dependent on how you're viewing it. Like in the prism of this season, can that work? Absolutely, it is working. And I'm not right. saying that in the future, as they bring over other players, like they they number one offense isn't good enough. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is like for this year and what they're doing and the step forward they're trying to take, it absolutely is good enough. I think if you look at the front office and Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan, 
they say, well, to get that, that's good enough for this year. And that can take you a nice step forward and can probably win a playoff series. And look with Halliburton, I'm not throwing anything, you know, as an impossibility, but as the, the franchise hopes to grow in the way that they do, I do think you're going to need to have a secondary, a tertiary player that okay. steps up, whether it's somebody on the roster, whether it's somebody that they bring in. Okay, I have two responses to everything you just said, which means you just said a lot of interesting things. One, do you know how many teams with a below-average defense won a playoff round last season? I don't. The answer is one. That one team was the New York Knicks, who defended like crazy in their first-round series, but were 19th in regular season defense. The other seven teams that won their first-round series were all 15th or better in defensive rating. So that is already like, if you're the Pacers, you you got to get it up, right? And you just said it. You you know, the playoffs are going to be a different beast there. Two, I've kind of had that as this is a working thesis all season. They need some every Halberton's good almost every game, yeah, like one of every 10. Maybe he has like a down air quotes game. They just need one other guy to really step up and be good to win. I wrote this after I forget which game they lost. Uh, it might have been Charlotte. And last night it was Matherin and it's been Turner a lot and it's been Neesmith sometimes and it's been Bruce Brown sometimes. So I think you nailed it. Can that be? And I think with Halberton's passing, the answer is maybe. But can that be a consistent strategy or it's just wherever the hole is in the defense, someone has to attack that matchup and succeed offensively for you to win. And sometimes that doesn't happen and they lose games they should win. Or do you really need someone that you can count on in that role? I think if they want to win playoff series, that's bad podcasting, whatever. The answer is, yeah, you need somebody more consistent. But right now in their state of info gathering, growth, development, it's fine what they're doing because they're giving guys chances to be that guy to develop, to grow. And it's been working. They very rarely had games where like Hal Burton's unbelievable and everybody else stinks and they lose. That has happened. Charlotte was one of those games, but that has been an infrequent formula for loss for them. So I think the two things to see in the next stage is does someone make that a consistent thing on the team? Like Matherin's game last night. I bet they're like, whew, that's if they're going to double Halliburton and Turner's going to get that attention in the lane on rolls. That's going to be huge. Or can they get to 24th, 23rd defensively? The Knicks were 19th last year. Like I said, one of the worst team to win around on that end. So those are the two things I think in the next, the rest of the season, really, but really in the next half, especially pre-trade deadline that I think they would like to see. One more break here, guys. I got to talk to you about the lovely people over at game time. The absolute best way to buy tickets to the next big event, whatever it is, if it's sports, if it's comedy, if it's theater, if it's music, game time is the way to go. They have killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, their best price guarantee. No more guesswork when you're buying your tickets. I should know because I used it in New York. I've explained this many times when talking about them, but I wanted to see the Liberty play in person this summer when I was in New York. Hopped on game time the day before the game. I could see the views from the seat I wanted so I could kind of scour the lower bowl, figure out what I wanted. I knew it was going to be the best value because of their low price guarantee. And I knew the price I was getting, so there was no secret little fees in there. It is the best. Their game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and roll for less, game time's going to credit you 110% of the difference. How about that for a way of knowing what you're getting? Download the game time app, create an account, use the code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. How about that? Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A for $20 off. At game time, download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. And you touched on something, a point that I actually made during one of my 
air quote sideline hits that I do on the road because they're <laughs> sideline hits from a studio across the country. But um, which is look, Halliburton has had some just stunningly good games this year. But I think just like the Pacers, they have maybe one real stinker. Um, at least in games that he's played in the Boston game, he didn't play and obviously also qualifies, but, uh, Halliburton, not that he had many bad games last year, but the guy, like if you look at his, the Orlando game, he didn't play well. And, and oh. any of the others, like I challenge you to say for him below standard, he's had them, but like, even for, if you just say average NBA starting point guard, I think you can make a case that even all of his other four games are better than average. And, and because of that, he's been there every single night. You've had that as a constant. And last year, if you look, um, he didn't have a ton of bad games, but he did have more than this. And I know the exciting angle of Tyrese Halliburton is like, he's doing these, you know, incredible things in the, and the 30 and 15 games and all of that. And as it should be, by the way, I'm not criticizing that, but I think also like a, a less sexy headline is that like the guy has just brought it every single night even when he hasn't had it he's figured out a way to bring it and you know you you started the show talking about expectations and all of that and with him specifically I'm I'm wondering like your where you had him if if you're going to use my 80% confidence interval prism type method how how high is he on what he's doing right now versus what your expectations were? Because I think anybody that watches the Pacers or watches this guy regularly thought pretty highly of him. Yep. But the stuff he's doing right now, I mean, he's in pretty crazy rarefied air, especially for his age. Yeah, I'm, I want to tweet this stat at some point, but I'll let listeners get it first. He has more games shooting over 60% from the field than under 40. Right? Like what? That's nuts. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. And so, and in, okay. And so to your point about bad games, which is like a comedy way of describing them, five times he's been under 42% from the field. In uh, four of those, they won his minutes. <laughs> and and in four of them, 16, 10, 13, 13 assists, right? The Orlando game was completely miserable. But the other four, it's like, this is a bad game for him. Like, it's insane. And yeah, I think if you made me put the choose your percentiles range on it, this is probably pretty close to the top end, like 85, 90, just because of the scoring, right? I said this in a, in a show before the summer of like, to me, a big thing about him taking the next leap is that he did not need someone to set him up to be efficient last year, right? Such a small percentage of his shots were assisted. 43% of his threes, 24% of his twos last year. And he still had a true shooting percentage of whatever it was, 62.4. This year, 35% of his threes are assisted, even fewer. 23% of his twos are assisted, even fewer. And his true shooting percentage is 67. So the wow. fact that he's just a walking solo offensive show is why he's averaging 27 points per game. And that is like, I thought he would do a little more of that because it's kind of like not his natural way of playing, as he said himself, like he wants to pass and set guys up. And that's awesome. He leads the league in assists. But a lot of times the best offense for the Pacers is like, dude, Tyrese Halberton shoot, <laughs> you know, and he figures it out in the second half sometimes and then they win. And so him doing that all the time has it was not something I necessarily expected but he's done it and it's been massive. And that's why he's been one of the best pick your number five, eight, 10 players in the NBA. Yeah. Going into last season, I, I remember getting this question, like for Halliburton to, uh, you know, jolt into stardom, what's going to need to happen. And I remember, you know, my answer kind of being Kenny 
average three, four more points per game while keeping the assists up. Yes. And the biggest Same. key is keeping the efficiency up. Because going into a couple of years ago, the guy was crazy efficient. But not on a crazy volume, right? So, like, there's a there's a chicken and an egg question there. Is he really efficient because of he's taking only the very best looks, which would be impressive anyway, by the way? Or can he keep this up? And what he did last year was exactly what I thought he needed to do, which makes this year I don't want to say stunning because I did think think he'd take another step forward, but like I didn't see this offensive explosion from his own scoring perspective with the with the shooting percentages staying where they are the and getting better <laughs> yeah the assist numbers are bonkers but tony i think you can make a case that his scoring numbers are even more imp- even though this guy yeah. his best talent is his passing he's it's him or Jokic, probably the best passer in the game right now and, and from a guard perspective it's probably him but like in a weird way his efficiency with with how many more shots he's taking and how much more spotlight he's getting, to me, that's that's more shocking and impressive than even his assists, which almost yeah. feels silly to say. Yeah, I like you looked at stars last year, and so he was like one of the like of the all stars. I want to say his fifteen shot attempts per game was like of among the fewest, maybe the fewest. And so I argued like get it to sixteen or seventeen. That's a big deal. So he did. And his two-point percentage is a career high. His three-point percentage is a career high. Oh, and his assists per game is a career high. Like, it's just comical what his numbers are. And so we can, you know, dibble-dabble and all these things. That are like, oh, they need to be better at this and this. And it's like, oh, well, they have this guy on their team. And none of that matters. <laughs> They'll be fine. And in, a, and, in a, and in a very simplistic way, and this does not mean to – this is not intended to demean any other player on that roster. Why have the Pacers taken – maybe a bigger than expected step forward this year. It's because Tyrese Halliburton has taken a bigger step forward than expected this year. I think even among a lot of optimists, and there's been a lot of really good stuff around him. But the other thing is, unlike maybe a player who's a big time scorer, um, when Halliburton is taking his step to a higher than maybe even expected range, it's also making everybody else better. And so that that I think, you know, if you needed to summarize the Pacers sentence in a cup, uh, the Pacers season in a couple of sentences, that's probably it. Speaking of a couple sentences, I do want to touch on their game tonight against the Bucks just because, Pat, I think there's going to be at some point the emotional letdown game after the in-season tournament. And the Bucks typically have been a challenge for the Pacers, although not this season. And Damian Lillard's going to have just a hint of personal touch to this game. Just get the emotional game out of the way. I have a feeling the Bucs might kick their butt tonight. And I just wanted to say that because I hate doing a whole show and not talking about the game that's happening in 12 hours or whenever people are listening <laughs> to this. But uh, I think this could be the one. And you recover and bounce back against the Wizards if you're the Pacers because it's it's got to happen, right? Like, it, it just does. It's just how humans work. And the Bucs are going to especially after getting their butt kicked in the tournament last year, just it's going to mean a lot to them. So uh, I do not expect the Pacers to win tonight. And then we can move on to the fever. Yeah, it's it's why I thought the Detroit game was so important. Because Agreed. if you win it, then I think you've given yourself an ability for that game to potentially be what you say. And, and look, in the years that the Pacers have been good and challenging um, for playoff positioning and all of that, I don't know that there's any game I ever went into thinking that the Pacers don't have a chance. And I don't think that here, but like, if you look at the extenuating circumstances, you're on the road against what will probably be a top two team in the East that you've already beaten twice that you just, I don't want to say embarrassed, but 
Uh, you beat them on national TV in a game that everybody thought they were going to win. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a tough one. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. And you know what? Because they beat Detroit, because they've taken care of business lately, if it is a tough one, I think it's allowed to be a tough one. If the Bucks win, I'm not allowed to be lazy anymore and just say, well, they'll never be honest because they'll beat them three times in a row. So uh, they will be ruining my lazy things. All right. Pat is is the man on the broadcasts for the Fever, uh, and the Fever just had a very significant day on Sunday. They win the second draft lottery in a row. That has happened three times in the W before. Every team that has won three draft, or excuse me, one consecutive draft lottery has won a championship within four seasons. Pat, what does this just mean for the Fever? That stat's amazing. I'm, I'm like sitting here, you saying it. And I, I've seen it on Twitter, so I knew where you were going with it. But like, it's still amazing. Look, I think back to uh, the, the the Fever had this obviously incredible run with Tamika Catchings, where every year they were a title contender. They won one. They went to three finals. They were in the playoffs every single year for more than a decade. She left in the bottom, fell out. And I just think of so many years where uh, the Fever had the number one lottery odds and then they got the third pick. And then they had the number two lottery odds and they got the third pick. And there were times where they didn't have bad luck, like they had the number two lottery odds and got the second pick. But they couldn't find good luck in this thing to save their absolute lives. I mean, even the the Alyssa Smith draft, you know, th- there was a hope, a, a realistic hope that you'd be number one in that one. But it's all come full circle now to get it here back to back years. And there's a conversation and some of it, to be frank with you, I cannot have in the detail that we would probably like due to uh, my affiliation with Pacers sports entertainment and the fever. There's only so much that we can talk about players that have not declared for the draft, just to be clear. Um, But Aaliyah Boston was obviously a franchise changing player last year. And this draft certainly has the potential to have maybe even more than one of those types of players. And it's just amazing how for years it felt like nothing on draft lottery night could go right or would go right. And now it feels like they can do no wrong. And it's stunning how quickly, I mean, you think of just a few years ago, this fever team kind of felt rudderless. And now you're looking at them and you go, if the right player or maybe a couple players comes out, like they could be set to be terrific for a long, long time. And it's just stunning how quickly that 180 has happened. 100%. 100%. And, you know, it's it was fascinating. I was looking back, like, they get the second pick in 2018, and they're thrilled to get Kelsey Mitchell, an all-star player, but, like, Asia Wilson was the number one pick, right? Yeah. They get T in 2019, a great player, but Jackie Young was the number one pick. Like, the years they didn't win it, the number three in 2020, and SQ goes number one, like, like if you had won it, there was a significant talent there. So to win it last year... When Aaliyah Boston declared, obviously massive, all-star starter already, to win it this year when I won't do it either for you now, there could be a very significant... (laughs) You're allowed to say whatever you want. I just can't can't confirm, deny, or discuss (laughs) at length. Yeah, uh, (laughs) The the player you're referencing is allowed to be said. Her her name (laughs) is allowed to be said. I just can connect no dots. She might play for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, (laughs) Theoretical. She this might have beaten Leah Boston in the NCAA tournament uh, <laughs> last time around. Um, it, yeah, just like a phenomenal partnership if it happens. And it, it just how it's gone in the W, right? Lauren Jackson and Sue Bird within four years with now Fever GM Lynn Dunn as the GM back then, the championship in the 2000s. The Storm again with Joel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart. The Aces with their three in a row with Plum, Asia, and Jackie. Like, it's just how it's gone in this league. And 
The Fever already have another all-star in Kelsey Mitchell and some other nice ascending young pieces. It's a fun time for the Indiana Pro Sports teams, and uh, it was a great night for the Fever a couple nights ago. It was very fun to see the reactions to them winning that lottery again because I have seen too many of them getting pulled earlier than they thought and not having to have those reactions. I think the key maybe just is we need to have a public party because every time there's been a public party, they've gotten the number one pick. Uh, When there were not, when there were private parties or everyone just kind of watching on their own, that's when things went south. So maybe that's the recipe in the future. Hopefully there's no draft lottery for the fever for a very long time. This could be the type of draft lottery to end all draft lotteries for the fever at least. Uh, for the near future, but no, I've had this conversation with you. Um, we probably had it on some airways, whether it was this or the Pacers podcast or somewhere else. Um, I, I think there have just been so many parallels between where the Pacers are and where the Fever are, um, and Aaliyah Boston and Tyrese Halliburton and these young 22, 23-year-old players that have the potential to be transcendent talents, the potential to be you know, look, uh, dangerous words here with Tamika Catchings and Reggie Miller, but to be up in that conversation with the best players of all time um, in NBA and WNBA franchise history still very early. And and with the fever getting the number one pick and the potential, you know, to draft, there's, there's numerous really exciting players out there. But, you know, the idea of Tyrese Halliburton and, you know, potentially Benedict Matherin and on the fever side of Leah Boston, this number one pick. Um, and who they have, and, and, the, and the potential to have that for 10 to 15 years. Um, we, we've The Fever have had some great runs. The Pacers have had some great runs, and for some of that, there was overlap. Like Tamika's era, there definitely was overlap with some of those really good Pacers teams. But, I mean, man, the, the future is just really, really exciting. And it's kind of crazy how quickly it's all happened because two, two and a half years ago before the <laughs> Halliburton trade, uh, both teams felt just pretty rudderless. And... 10 out of 10, at least so far, in terms of where you are now compared to then. I think in 2022, I saw combined like 14 wins by the teams combined. That's not right. Obviously, that's way too low, but it was not a good year for the the franchises. Uh, And now, boy, are they trending in the right direction. Uh, You can check out Locked on Women's Basketball for more on the, the lottery. And I wrote about it for the next. And I have another thing coming about the fever pretty soon. Pat. This was fantastic. I always love being able to talk about both teams. And in general, this fun fourth of the season we've had for the Pacers so far. Where can people find you, what you do with the Pacers and the Fever and all that yada yada? Well, once you are done listening to this podcast and once you listen to Tony's, the nice thing about podcasts is we're not competing for airtime, right? Like we're not ABC and CBS airing something at the exact same hour. You can listen to both. It is legal. Um, Sideline Guys Powered by Gainbridge is the podcast that Jeremiah and I do. It goes through the Pacers channels. Pacers Sound is is the uh, umbrella that kind of houses it. So um, that's what you'd follow for that. And, you know, I, I get the great opportunity to work with Mark Boyle on the radio broadcast. I jump over onto the TV side post game to work with Jeremiah Johnson. And then um, I get to do the play-by-play for the Fever. So it's three very different roles on different mediums. Um, but we appreciate the fans here listening that we have that listen on radio, that watch on TV, that watch The Fever. Um, And if you're a Pacers fan, I've been saying this for the last year plus. I think it's becoming even more accurate now. If you're a Pacers fan who has really enjoyed, I I think, this last year and a half of building and kind of getting into the ground level of something exciting, so many parallels to what The Fever are doing right now and where they are. And so we would love to have you on board on The Fever side as well if you already haven't come on over to The Fever side. Agreed. The Fever community clearly expanding, which has been very fun 
to see these last couple of years. And Pat didn't even mention the thing I get to text him about all the time, which is he is the best stat researcher in Indiana, the only person who can find information faster than me, which is both impressive and infuriating for me personally. So that is not true. You are definitely <laughs> better at it than I am. But it is something uh, not to get on a tangent here because we're wrapping up. But it is something I think it's it's a balance for a broadcaster because you can't just sit there and spew out stats and stats and stats yeah. and stats. But the ones that really make an impact, uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton is shooting more and he's shooting at a better rate. Uh, you had one that's escaping me right now that when I heard it, my jaw almost hit the floor. I mean, those are the moments that I love when you can use stats to tell a story and to explain something that can't otherwise be uh, put into place except with that power. But I appreciate you, especially on the W beat where there's a few less people uh, out there than in a Pacers season, because oftentimes I'll be bouncing things off of you. Uh, and, and that makes our broadcast better and hopefully vice versa. Pat is on Twitter at Pat Boylan Pacers. You can find me there at Tony R. East. If we said something dumb, please direct all your comments to Pat. Uh, and this show <laughs> is at Locked On Pacers. Back tomorrow talking about whatever happens in the Bucks game. We'll see if they can avoid the letdown that I have now predicted. And I have famously been wrong about this team many a time this season. Thank you all for listening. Have a fantastic day. And we'll see you soon. Bye.